Badass Writers. Welcome to the Badass Writers Podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Fox. Today I'm featuring a special guest, PS literary agent Claire Harris, and she's going to be answering a whole lot of questions. So thank you so much for sending them in. I did get quite a few questions from many of you, so we're going to get to as many as possible. And without further ado, let's get right to it. So today's guest is Claire Harris, a literary agent with a passion for a wide range of fiction and nonfiction for adults. After graduating from UT Austin, she worked at a mid-sized agency before joining the PSLA team. Claire seeks projects with unique voices, interesting writing styles, and compelling characters. She enjoys the creative process of collaborating closely with her authors throughout all stages of their careers. And she has represented everything from debuts to New York Times bestsellers, Having grown up in and recently moved back to Wisconsin, she has a soft spot for stories set in the Midwest. Claire is acquiring both fiction and nonfiction projects for adults. She's actively seeking projects that shine a spotlight on people, places, and events that are often overlooked or not given the attention they deserve. In fiction, she's looking for adult rom-coms, contemporary fiction, psychological thrillers, select horror, and cozy mysteries, all for millennial audiences specifically. Claire is happiest when reading manuscripts with unexpected endings or new twists on classic genre tropes. For nonfiction, Claire is seeking a range of projects, including lifestyle guides, pop culture celebrations, pop psychology, cultural criticism, humor, true crime, essay collections, and illustrated books for adults. You can find more about her interests on Twitter and Instagram at Claire underscore M underscore Harris. So welcome, Claire, and thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Kat. Thank you so much for having me. I'm like so excited to have a chance to chat with you. Yeah, I'm excited too. I love doing this kind of thing. It's really exciting. Yeah. All right. So we do have a lot of questions to get to. Um, We're going to get to as many as we can. So there's a lot of people that sent in questions. I put out um, a call for questions on Twitter and lots of people responded so we can dive right into the questions if you're ready perfect that sounds great all right so the first one is very relevant to what's happening in the publishing world right now with news coming in daily about agents and editors leaving publishing due to low pay burnout and other labor issues are there extra steps writers should take to query ethically how do we pursue our publishing goals without causing harm I have to say, I love this question and I do think it's really interesting because I think most of the time people, you know, they might read about like these issues and then they just go about their day and they, they keep querying the same way, um, you know, without accounting for any of the issues that you mentioned that might be affecting any given editor or agent. Um, so I'm actually really glad this was brought up. In my opinion, the main thing you can do is account for slower turnaround times. So if you're querying, know that the process might take a little longer than you've maybe heard from your friends who queried a while back, like especially pre-pandemic. And, you know, if your book's on submission with out with editors, it's the same thing. I can't speak for all agents, but I am totally fine with my clients checking in on submissions. Um, It doesn't bother me and they all know that, Uh, but I do let them know ahead of time. Like I might not have any update at all for you. Things might just be the same because it's just a slower turnaround time for everyone because 
everyone's overwhelmed. So ultimately, I think just being patient and understanding is how you can go about querying ethically. And then one other thing, just if you're on the fence about adding some sort of content warning to your query, just just do it. <laughs> it's one little line and it's really helpful for um, agents and editors alike, I, in my opinion, to just know if there's any sort of sensitive subject matter. Um, you know, it's just good to know that ahead of time, even if it's something that might not affect you personally, it's good to know that it's in there. Yeah, I think I'm glad you brought that up. I think a lot of people are hesitant because then they're worried. Oh my goodness, what if she doesn't like that subject and then she rejects my query? But the thing is, it's not about whether or not they like it. It's more about just giving them that warning so that they know what to expect what's on the pages, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's not like someone's going to be like, I don't like this topic. It's more of, yeah, like you said, like a, oh, a little bit of a warning just so that if it is something that is potentially an, something that's unhealthy for us to read or something that maybe like we've struggled with personally or that we're like, that's completely off limits for me because of personal reasons, um, you know, it's just nice to have a heads up. And, and even when it's not a situation where it affects you personally, it's good to have a heads up because sometimes, especially with darker or more serious topics, it's good to know what you're going to be reading so that you can be in the right headspace when you read it. You know, if you're already not in a great, in a great way, and then you're reading something that's really tough to read about, it's not necessarily a good combination. So, right. you know, I think a content warning of some sort is, is never a bad idea. No, exactly. It's just to help you mentally prepare for whatever's mm -hmm. going to be on the page. Exactly. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Um, so the next question is, do agents give any weight when a writer says that they've worked with a certified book coach, since there doesn't seem to be kind of an industry standard for certification for book coaches? Yeah, for me, it doesn't necessarily make a huge difference if you've worked with any kind of book coach or, or anyone. What matters to me is if you have good writing and a good premise for a book. So I don't really care how you got there so much as I care that you got there. Um, you know, your process is your process. So some writers go through a ton of drafts and before they get the one they're going to submit, like could be like seven years before they're happy with the manuscript they're going to send out. Some writers might nail it in the first couple of drafts. Um, and, you know, some people write an entire chunk of a book and then realize it's all backstory and they cut the whole thing out. So I think there are just a million ways that you could go about it. And as long as the product that you're sending me is polished and in good shape, I'm happy and I'm not picky about how you got to that place. I just need you to get to that place. So yeah, for me, for me, it's not really a big deal either way. Yeah. So like, it's never a bad thing to go through a book coach because it just shows that you're willing to put that, that time and effort and yeah, it's going to cost the money too, um, into your project. I mean, I, I think I know kind of like what you're getting at. So, I mean, for me, yeah, a big thing is like, if you're willing to like put the effort and the time in, that's amazing. And if you're willing to accept edits, that's actually a huge bonus that you're willing to edit your work because at some point, if it's not me telling you to edit, it's going to be your editor. If it's not, you know, someone's going to have you edit your work at some point and you can't be so precious about it that you're like, not a word can change. 
But all of that being said, book coaches and like paying for outside editors, like that, that's expensive. That's a privilege that not everyone has. So for me, I don't care if you do that or not. You know, I mean, if you, if you feel that you need it and you have those resources available to you, go for it. If it's going to make your book stronger. Yeah, sure. But it's not a necessity. And I, I don't think that it really has an effect on me signing you. You know, for me, I'm like, if your writing is really great, again, like I said, I don't care how you got there. I really don't. If your writing and your premise are great, like that's, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. So yeah, if you don't have the resources for that, don't stress out about it. It is not something you have to do. It's right. just some people feel more comfortable going that way. And some people, some people might need that kind of guidance, but others might not. So yeah, yeah. I think it's, I think it's all a personal, personal decision, but yeah. yeah, absolutely. I agree. So next question is talking about comps. Um, oh, I love comps. Yeah. Always- <laughs> I'm so obsessed with them. <laughs> so every, well, I'd say every about three weeks on Tuesdays, um, a couple of friends and I run prompts and comps. It's a Twitter chat. Oh, and, love it. Yeah. So we're talking about talking about reading and comps and that kind of thing. And then at the end, we usually put out a, you know, pitch us your book and see if anybody in the community can help come up with comps, right? Because it's hard. It's hard to find the it's right so comps. Yeah. And it's like, you don't want to go too small. You don't want to go too right. big. Like it's yeah. totally one of the most difficult, difficult things to find. And I, even when I do one-on-one sessions with people, like they're always like, I can't decide on my comps. I'm like, I know that's because it's the hardest, Yes, oh <laughs> the my hardest goodness. thing to narrow down, but it's also, it makes such a big impact. Like if you have good solid comps, that's, mm-hmm. it can, yeah, it can, it can make such a difference. <laughs> yeah. So how often do you get a queer letter where you haven't heard of the comps and what does that, like, does that make you think, Oh, I don't know. Or does it, you know, you're like, Oh, okay. I'm going to go look that up and see what's going on there. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's an agent out there who hasn't at one point in their career had to look up a comp title. Yeah. You know, it's fairly common. I will say like, you want to use comps that aren't super obscure because if they're super, super obscure and no one's heard of them, the chances that they had really good sales numbers are just a bit lower, like, you know, um, but yeah, sometimes people will comp to a popular book and it'll sound so familiar to me. And I'll just have like a little brain blip for a moment. And I'll be like, why do I know this? And then I'll look it up. I'll be like, oh my God, because I've read it and I loved it. Like, (laughs) so I think there are a million reasons someone might need to look up a comp title, you know, even like, even to see like, what genre did they market this book in? If it is something you haven't read, you know, just to give you a better sense of it. So I, I always tell people, as long as you're picking things that are relevant and fairly recent. So if you're choosing books, go three to five years, um, is like the ideal. If you're using another form of media, one to three years is ideal. Um, you know, you'll be fine. If we have to look it up, we have to look it up, mm-hmm. but yeah, I would say you want to pick something with solid sales. That's representative of your book and how it'll fit into the marketplace. So if that is a lesser known title, it's a lesser known title, you know, or if it's not necessarily something that I've heard of, I don't have any issue looking it up. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I have Google available to me at all times. Yeah. I can quickly Google a book and check it out. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not a super big deal. And I think it, 
I don't think there's anyone who's, who has genuinely not had to do that at some point. And I yeah. think if they say that they're, they might be, they might be uh, <laughs> bending the truth a little bit. Yeah. I just have another question too, based on that, how often do the comps change after you sign with the client and and you're going out on sub? Is it normal for for them to change? Yeah, I would say it it does change. Um, not always though. You know, sometimes a writer really nails the comps, and when they do, I'm like, that's perfect. We're going with those comps. But other times, you know, as we're editing and working on it, and you know, and we're, we're kind of also, I'm, I'm cultivating like, what, who am I submitting to and what would be a good comp for the, for the current marketplace and like things like that. So I think it can change. And sometimes, honestly, I'll talk to a writer about like how they see their book fitting in on like bookshelves. And I'm like, interesting. Cause like the comp you gave me super different than what you're saying. So, um, yeah, I think sometimes they change and sometimes they stay the same. And with, nonfiction, I feel like in, at least in my experience with nonfiction, it usually does change because I I usually have them think of like a bunch, (laughs) a bunch of different titles that we could use. And then we'll kind of narrow it down from there. Uh, But yeah, so I think, I think it depends on like how much the writer nails it on the first try, but if they nail it, I'm like, let's not mess with perfection. Let's, let's keep those comps. Like, yeah. (laughs) So I've seen some comps I mean I I know the general rule of thumb is you don't want to go too big because you know that's those are big shoes to fill exactly and especially when it's your debut and you know we don't know we don't know yet um yeah. but so for example if someone is comping to Outlander which I've seen a lot and I love Outlander I don't write the books to comp to them but I love right. stories like that so I mean that is relevant because it's happening right now you know she's still writing the series and the the show is still going on but it's also older because the the book is many years old and the show didn't start until 2014 so I mean but the concept is so it's such a big concept you know what I mean Mm -hmm. so a lot of people want to 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 comp to that kind of premise I guess or certain elements in it very strong elements so if it's something like that I mean that's I don't know if that's kind of an outlier where it might be okay. Yeah, I would say that's kind of an outlier, but I would almost say in that case that you'd be comping to the show Mm -hmm. more than you'd be comping to the book just because of the timeline of things. Mm -hmm. But again, that being said, like it's really with comp titles, it's really like an individual basis, you know, like I would need to read the work that's like trying to comp to it to be like, ah, yes. Okay. Because I think it, it really does. It really does vary based on, based on each individual work. You can't really say like, it's not, you can't do like a blanket like statement about comp titles necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but I think, yeah, it's, it's tough when you have like an like books that are a little bit older and you're like, it fits so perfectly. I want to, I want to use it, but you're like, but you want to use something more recent so that you can show how it's fitting into the marketplace right now and how exactly. So that's, that's kind of a big, a big thing that you want to keep in the, in the front of your mind when you're thinking of comp titles for sure. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So the next question is with the numbers of people querying climbing, do agents ever rely on software to sift through queries? 
So I don't personally, and honestly, I don't know of anyone who uses software to like sift through queries, like maybe to track them, but not to evaluate them. But it's such an interesting industry because so much of it is based on like individual taste and preference. And I don't really think a computer could learn to do that. I mean, honestly, I hope a computer can't learn to do that. It's kind of my worst nightmare. It's so terrifying to me. Um, But I will say like, you know, all of that being said, um, you know, a lot of people have interns or assistants who help them with that first stage um, and get to know like their taste and everything like that. They'll do a preliminary um, read through queries and, and just say like, is the writing good? Does it match the agent's style? Does it fit into their client list? And then it'll move up. So right now I don't use any sort of resources for my general query inbox, but having an intern or an assistant help with that first round is fairly common, but I don't, I don't know. Now I'm really curious if people are using a computer, I guess maybe like if you had a system like set up to sort out like certain genres maybe would be like, that's all I can think of. Yeah. I think it would be hard <laughs> to design a program to do that. Right. Cause you need your own, your own expertise and insights and, and just your own tastes. And I don't think a computer program can do that. I, I right? hope not like you were saying. Yeah, right? I'm like, <laughs> if a computer can do that, I'm honestly so scared for <laughs> yeah. both my livelihood and society. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but yeah, I think it's, I don't want a computer to learn my taste. Like it already is, you know, learning my like shopping habits on like Instagram and everything. So I'm like, just let's leave it at that. But yeah, I think even, um, it would even be hard because with a, like if it only did it through the query letter, like I might miss a really great sample, like sample pages because the query wasn't as strong. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I just, I don't, I don't know that, uh, that computer software could really do it as effectively as a human being could do it, but I don't know if that software exists. I am not familiar with it. I will just say that. <laughs> Sounds like you don't want to be familiar with it. No, I really don't. I'm so scared of it. <laughs> All right. Uh, next question. If a writer has an opportunity to do a 50 page review or like a 10 minute one-on-one with their dream agent, is that mm-hmm. a good idea? Or are they better off going with a different agent for these things until they're 100% ready to query their dream agent? So I guess, does it does it ruin a chance if you, if you do that with a dream agent ahead of time? I mean, personally, I would say as long as your manuscript feels like it's in pretty good shape, like it's not a first draft with a bunch of major errors, or you're not like, I've barely written this like kind of situation, go to your dream agent. I mean, I want to explain that further though, because I have a couple of reasons for why I'm suggesting that. So First, you'll get their feedback on your sample. That's the point of these (laughs) reviews. But you'll also get sort of like a sense of what they individually like, which is cool um, because, you know, you might be like, ooh, they don't like what I'm doing here. Like, "Mm, okay. And obviously you'll get a a sense of like what's working in the marketplace too, because that's part of also part of the critique process. But, you know, second, you'll make an impression on them. So try to make it a good one. Hopefully everyone knows that. But yeah, this can help. Like sometimes I'll get a query like months after I've done a one-on-one and I'll immediately remember meeting with them 
And it's kind of nice. Like, like it just jogs my memory and I'm like, oh yeah, I did have a really nice meeting with them. And I asked them to send me materials and it's, it just sort of jogs my memory and reminds me that, that I had a meeting with them and you know, that, it, that it went well. Cause obviously if it didn't go well, I probably also remember that. But third, and to me, this is one of the most important aspects on the writer's side. You'll actually get to speak to your like quote dream agent. So you might be sitting there thinking like, oh, wow, this person's my dream agent. I want to work with them so badly. I can't wait. And then when you meet them, you might realize like, it's not the best fit, like, which is totally fine. It happens. Like, you know, it's, it's just a part of life. Sometimes people are not the right fit for you, but at least that way you can know and you can start looking for other agents that you want to submit to and you're not chasing like the idea of this agent, you know? And I think um, this is kind of a tangent, but <laughs> I think, you know, in the age of like social media where people are getting a sense of your personality online, there are some people who are very like authentic online, but there are others who are very like cultivated. And I think even the people like who are authentic, it's not like you share everything, you know? And so it is, it's not, I mean, you know, you might, you might have an idea of someone, but then when you meet with them, they're just different than what you thought. And you already were in love with who you thought they were. And then, you know, it, it just might not be the right fit. So I think that's something like you'd rather know early on than later, you know, it's like any relationship. Like you don't want to be in love with the idea of someone and then later find out like, oh shoot, they're not the person I thought they were. What do I do now? So, um, yeah, I would say like, go for it. Meet with your, meet with your dream agent. See if you guys click. That's a huge aspect of finding right. the right agent for you. Like, do you guys get along? Like, do you like them as a person? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I'd say as long as your, your, whatever materials you're sharing with them are in good enough shape that you're not going to be embarrassed to show them, do it with your dream agent. Yeah. Also, I do think dream agent is like a cute concept. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. it's, it's so strange to me as an agent to like, I don't know when people are like, you're my dream agent. And I'm like, I'm, I'm just like chilling. Like I'm just living my life. Like, I don't know. I just, I just think it's a really cute concept. Like <laughs> but you're absolutely right though. You, you don't, I mean, all you have to go on is, is what you see online or on their website. Like some of them, some agents aren't on social media. Yeah. Um, I personally, and I think probably a lot of writers like to see them online because you want to try and, and see if you jive with them. Right. And that's, that's yeah. the closest you can get until you meet with them. So I, I think that's great exactly. advice to meet with them. If yeah. You and I think do it. It totally. And I think most people are pretty authentic online. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm naive, um, but you know, I know what, like at least my social media presence, it's pretty close to my <laughs> real personality. <laughs> like yeah. even when I'm like making videos or like taking a photo, I'm like, I, I'm not going to take a second photo. I'm not going to film a real, a second time, even though I like messed up. I'm like, man, yeah, it's good whatever. enough. So whatever. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm like, a little lazy on social media. So <laughs> I, I think it's fine. Like, I'm like, it's not that, you know, like social media is not like that important, but you know, it gives people a little bit of a sense of like me as a person. So when they meet with me also, like when they do a one-on-one, -on -one, one of the things I'm always hoping is that people won't feel so, so nervous. Cause sometimes mm -hmm. I go into these meetings and, you know, people are 
they're really nervous to meet with me. And I'm like, Hey, I promise you, I am not scary. Like I'm like, I'm not a scary person. Like I, I promise you it's okay. So yeah, I think that it just, it gives you a little bit of a sense of like people's vibes. And then if you like that, then that's, that's kind of like another check in that field of like, this is an agent I I like, you know, but I think also just something to keep in mind is like, don't have just one dream agent. It's like they say about best friends. It's not a person, it's a tier, like, you know, so (laughs) I I would say it's the same with agents. Like, you know, you might have a group that you're like, wow, I would love to work with any of these agents. Like how incredible. Mm -hmm. And that's, yeah, it's a tier. I I don't necessarily think that you should narrow yourself down to one person because that also sets you up for a little bit of heartbreak if they, if they don't want to want to work with you, you know, but if you have a whole tier of agents up there, (laughs) like, you know, your top tier of people and one of them does like it, like, Hey, Good for yeah, you. <laughs> for sure. Um, I've heard with, with queries, like when you're, when you're querying in batches, kind of have your A agents, B agents, C agents. And that sounds, that doesn't sound so nice when I'm talking about it, but you know what I mean? The tears, yeah. just like what you were saying, you know, if you, I mean, I've group, given this exact advice to people about yeah. my, like, I'm like, I'm an agent and I'm still telling people like have tears of agents. <laughs> doesn't sound great. Yeah. Like, like you said, it doesn't sound great, but I'm like, well, I'm talking about me. So I guess it's okay. <laughs> but I mean, it's important for the agent It's equally as important to the agent to have that vibe with someone. Right. So it's, yes. you got to have kind of the same outlook on that too. Yeah. It's like both of you have to really be on the same page in a lot of different ways. And I think that's, yeah, just Get, getting to know each other a little bit in like a one-on-one or some kind of critique session, or you're at a conference that they're going to like any way that you can meet them in a, in a non-stalker yeah, way. That's important. <laughs> yeah. I was like, let me throw this out there because as I'm saying this, I'm like, mm, I really don't want to encourage anyone to stalk anyone else. Um, but yeah, so I think like any way that you can connect with them, like in a professional manner, like through a critique session or a conference or anything like that is a really great way to, to get to know them a little bit better and to just like put your name in their brain. I mean, I don't know how you, yeah. Then when they see your query, they're like, that name sounds familiar. Like, Mm -hmm. and then usually in your query, you'll have a note about like, we spoke at whatever, you know, and it just jogs, jogs our memories. So I don't know. I think that's, you should, you should go for it. Everyone should go for it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Next question. What has been your favorite experience in the industry so far? I love this question. I have a lot of answers. Is that okay? (laughs) Yeah. Go for it. Okay. So I think as an agent, like just generally speaking, all of your firsts are really special moments. So like the first time you sign a client, your first sale, your first auction, your first bestseller, like any time that you have a first, it's so special. I mean, yeah, I think that's like so sweet. But for me, my favorite experiences, I mean, in addition to all the firsts are like all of the times that I get to share good news with someone. So like calling a client and telling them about an offer. I once did this with a client and they were like, I'm so sorry. I, I, that can't be true. Like what, what? And just got more and more excited. The more I was like, no, it's true. No, it's true. And it just was such like a heartwarming feeling. 
Yeah. And then like even calling an editor to tell them we're accepting an offer, like what an amazing moment. I mean, I've had like editors kind of like try to stifle a scream and I'm like, I'm so happy. You're so happy. It looks amazing. Yeah. And then I had like one of my clients with the New York Times bestseller list and I got to celebrate with them. Like got a cute, fun little cake and had the, had the bakery like pipe on like New York times bestseller. And yeah, I just think like anytime that you get to celebrate good news is a good day. So, you know, it's a tough industry. And I think any of those moments that you get to celebrate, like you have to take them and you have to like make the most of them because they make everything else worth it. Like when you're having a bad day and then you remember like, all of the amazing things that you've like been able to share with your clients, it just makes it worth it. So yeah, I would say I answered that with a lot of favorite experiences, (laughs) but I regret nothing. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, that's good though, but that you have so many positive things to draw on in your, in your career. That's important. Yeah. It keeps you going, you know, and especially it's like, this is, this is the only career I've really ever wanted. And so I don't necessarily have a, have like a, like, this is, this is my second choice. I'm like, no, this is the one thing I want. So, you know, I think like having those moments of celebration are, are just so important. And even just recognizing in yourself when you've grown, you know, like when you're like, I feel like I really handled that like negotiation really well, you know, like when you're first starting out and you have these moments of personal growth where you're like, I'm so proud. You know, it's like, you should absolutely celebrate those moments. So note to future agents or even current agents, um, just like celebrate yourself more. You know, I think, I think it's, yeah, it is a tough industry and agenting is like basically all rejection. You're, you're, (laughs) you're taking in the rejection on behalf of your clients that they don't, you're, they don't have to know about it necessarily. You're like absorbing all of that. So you need to celebrate the good moments (laughs) Yeah, and kick it up too. Like, don't just say, Oh yeah, I did a good job. Like do something. I like that cake idea. That's awesome. (laughs) Right. It was actually so fun. I mean, like getting, Yeah. yeah, getting to give someone a cake and it was huge. I mean, I accidentally ordered like a, a full sheet, a full sheet cake. I think I remember I seeing measure. that online. It was it yeah, you, pro- you might've seen yeah. a picture of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, when I picked it up, I was like, did I order this size cake? They're like, yes. And I'm like, my bad. Okay. Well, whatever. I'll take it. <laughs> I was like, it's, it's cool. He has a big family. Like it'll be fine. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, how do you personally know when a client is a good fit for your list? Yeah. So when, when I'm interested in signing a new client, I always do a phone call with them first to like talk through everything and also to tell them about me and my experience and what our agency's like, and, you know, just give them, give them the pitch of like, of PS literary and myself personally, but also just to kind of talk through some things. So the biggest things for me are communication, trust, and respect. And so I need to know that we're a good fit together in terms of communication style. Generally, I'm very flexible with communication style, like I can kind of go with the flow and do whatever each client needs, but occasionally the styles are just so different 
that it is not compatible and it's better actually for them and me to not force ourselves into a situation where it's not going to work. But also, yeah, in terms of trust, like I need to know that my clients are going to trust me like on suggested edits to do everything to help them land a deal, to be there and support them throughout the process, to help them with their long-term career moves. Like I need to know that they have faith in me and that they're going to trust me to do what's right for them. And, um, you know, obviously nothing moves forward without like the author's approval, but I just, I need them to know that I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that they have an amazing experience and that they want to keep publishing books and that they, that they enjoy everything that they're doing. Yeah. And then in terms of like respect, I need to know that they respect me, but I also need them to know that I respect them. So there needs to be that mutual respect. And without that, I don't think any relationship can really function on, on a real level. Um, yeah. And then like we talked about before, like the vibes have to be on point. (laughs) So I think the reason I bring that up is also I'm, I'm looking for career authors mostly. So I need to know that we're going to be okay years down the line. Like I want people who are equally as excited to work with me as I am to work with them. And, you know, if they're like a debut author, I want people where it's like, we're going to do your debut together. And then we're going to do your next books and your next books and your next books. And we're going to do all your films and we're going to do all your foreign things. You know, like I want to, I want them to be excited that I'm going to be like helping them move forward in their career. And I think that's sort of a, a major part of it for me as well. Oh, it sounds exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean It's funny that I keep mentioning like the vibe, but I'm like, that really is such a big thing because like, I need them to also enjoy working with me. Like if they're like, I don't really like her personality, but like, I'll just sign with her. I'm like, don't, don't do that. If you don't like me, cause like, we're going to be on the phone a lot. Like I'm going to be really involved in your life. And if you don't like, if we don't get along and we're not mutually like excited about it, Mm-hmm. that's, that's not a great scenario to be in. Like I need to, I need you as an author to be able to come to me if you're upset about something, or if you're like, should I work on this project? Or like, what's my next career move? Like, I want to be there for you and help you figure those things out. Mm-hmm. And if you're, if you're nervous to come to me for any reason, it's not, not a good fit probably, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, obviously it needs to be a fit with the story, the debut Mm -hmm. and everything that's coming out, but I think above anything else, that vibe has to be there. Like it's, it's super important for all the reasons that you listed. And Mm -hmm. I mean, mutual vibing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Mutual. Yeah, exactly. Cause you both have to be excited to work with each other because you want to be there and it, you have to be confident that that is there for you as well. It's not just the Mm -hmm. author. Right. So yeah, yeah. it can't be one-sided no matter whose side it is. It can't be one-sided. Exactly. Yeah. And that goes, I mean, that's, it's the same thing in, in any type of relationship, like you said, like any business professional relationship, I, I have a feeling, I mean, I don't know yet, but I have a feeling that when an agent or sorry, when an author signs with an agent, like you said, you're going to be in their life a lot. Because this yeah. is, you know, if they're, if they're writing and this is, you know, they're taking this seriously and they're going to be writing book after book after book, that's a lot mm-hmm. of time. And in that time, you're going to be going through everything and, and 
running everything by you. Like, so if an author is, if one of your clients is writing something and they're like, oh, I've got this great idea. Do they come to you first or they just start writing it? What do you prefer? Most of them come to me first. Actually, probably all of them. I'm sure. Yeah, I would say like most, if not all of them come to me first and they'll, you know, ask for like a phone call or they'll send me like a detailed list of like three book ideas or five book ideas. And they're like, what do you think I should do? And then I'll read through the list. I'll think on it. And then I'll be like, here's what you should work on. Here's what like we should table. And here are ones that like maybe are further down the line in your career because they don't necessarily fit with what we're doing right now, but like mm-hmm. they're good ideas. I like, them. you know, I'm like, I, I like where you're coming from with these, but we got to hit pause. Um, yeah. And sometimes they'll come to me with like a vague idea and sort of want to just talk through it. And I'm like, okay, like let's, let's hear it. And then, you know, it gives me a chance to kind of listen, absorb. And then if, if I'm able to offer them like any kind of insight or any suggestions, like I'm always happy to. And I always tell them, you don't have to take this, but what if like, you know? Um, so yeah, I think it's like probably all of them usually come to me first and say like, how would you feel about a book like this? And then describe the book and I'll let them know, like, Hey, there's actually a ton of books in the market that just came out in the last year about that exact thing, you know, or like whatever it may be because it's a lot of career planning. There's a lot of, a lot of back and forth. And ideally you want a long-term relationship Mm -hmm. with your agent. Like, you know, you don't want to have to jump from agent to agent. It's a hassle in the first place, but also, you know, you want to have one person who like, they get, they get it. They get get who you are, what you're about, your career trajectory. They get it, the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And then they're with you through it all. So, you know, that's like the ideal scenario. Obviously sometimes that doesn't happen, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Okay. Next question. If an author signs with an agent for adult books, oh, I like this question. If an author signs with an agent for adult books and then wants to write children's books or, you know, something completely different than what they signed for, right. but their agent doesn't represent that kind of book, can the yeah. author sign with another agent at the same agency or do they have to start the process all over again with querying for that totally different book? It's a good question. And I will say, unfortunately, the answer is a little confusing. <laughs> so it's it's a little bit vague sounding. But so the first step is that you should discuss it with anyone that you might sign with if you have ambitions to write something that's not in their wheelhouse. I would say that is like step number one. But the biggest thing is that if you've already signed with someone, you really need to read your contract and see what is going on there. So, um, you know, ideally you choose an agent who represents all the genres that you're interested in, but again, there's some career planning involved in this in terms of like, what should we pursue first? And, you know, what's going to break you out and things like that. You know, you don't want to jump around like too, too much, especially if it's like completely different things, it's going to be hard for you to like brand yourself and all of that. Um, but yeah, anytime that you're talking to a potential agent, you should definitely bring this up if there's more than one genre that you want to write in. And the thing is at some agencies, it might be that they have someone who does that 
exact genre and that person will sort of take the lead on that submission or will just help your agent with that submission, you know, like what, whatever the setup may be. But yeah, I think, I think ultimately if you've already signed with an agent, you, you just need to read your contract which I'm going to take this moment to just do like a quick life lesson for everyone. If you don't already do this, read everything before you sign it. It's just so important. Make sure you understand everything, ask questions and, you know, make sure you know what you're signing. So yeah, just, just like sort of life advice, life advice from Claire. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Next question. Do you look at queries or manuscripts in the order that you receive them? Or is there something that makes you want to read one over another instead of in the order you receive them? This is a good question because I try to look at them in the order that they come in, but there are a couple things that affect that. So if some, if someone sends something and they're a referral, like from an existing client or, you know, whatever the situation may be. Um, I try to look at those first. And then same thing. If I requested materials at a conference, I try to give those priority. Um, Sometimes I will just see a, a query come in and I'll be like, whoa, those comp titles. And I like I told you before, I love comp titles. Sometimes it will just stand out to me. And so I'll just like flag it so that I'm like, mm, I'm going to go back and read that. Like as soon as I have time to get to the queries, like that's the one I'm going to like jump right into. But generally speaking, I try really hard to do them in the order that I received them so that I can like keep up to date or at least attempt to keep up to date. I mean, it's, it's really hard um, when you're getting like a lot every day, it's, it's a little overwhelming, you know, like on top of all your other responsibilities. But the other thing is that if someone has another offer of representation on the table, you kind of have to prioritize reading those, or you'll automatically miss out on the chance to represent them, no matter how much you love the work. So, um, yeah, I, I just always encourage authors, like if you have an offer of representation, go back to anyone who still has your manuscript and let them know that you have an offer and then actually give them enough time to read and consider your manuscript. Because if you're like, I have another offer, I need to know if you're interested in two days, I'm going to have to pass. Like, I don't necessarily want to pass. I might love your manuscript if I had a chance to read it. But just with like my existing client list and like everything else that I have going on on my day to day, like two days is not enough for me to, to be able to like request the full from you, read the full from you, give it some real thought, like, you know, be ready to do a phone call with you and give you like sort of like editorial feedback. And so I think just keep that in mind. If you get an offer, you have like I mean, like, it's really good if you go back to everyone and you just tell them, I have an offer, like, here's my deadline, you know? And I think that's just, uh, it's one, it's like considerate. It's, it's, it shows that you're being considerate and everything and that you're giving thought to it. And two, you don't necessarily want to jump at the first offer, you know? you want to give it some thought. You want to really make sure, I mean, like we've talked about, this is a long and intense commitment. You want to make sure that you, that you get into it the right way and that you feel good about the way you get into it. So yeah, I would say just 
go and tell the other agents what's going on, you know, that just that you have an offer and then give them a deadline that you need an answer by. And then hopefully they'll be able to read it and consider it in that time frame. And a typical time frame is, I'm going to guess around 10 to 14 days. Generally, I get like two weeks from yeah. most people. Um, like, yeah, I would say two weeks is usually like the most standard timeline that that I get from when, when I have those emails. Like people will be like, can you let me know by X date? And then like in parentheses, like two weeks from yeah. now. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, it, it is really helpful because two weeks I, I'll have, I, I'll be able to read it and do that. But like two days, that's, that's a, I, I basically have to like drop everything else yeah. and focus on this one thing. And, and that's not, not realistic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like pulling all nighters. I'm like, I, I don't, I'm too old for that. <laughs> you were saying about comps. This is why it's so important because if you get those right comps, you might end up being at the top or close to the top of the list. So that's another reason why comps are so important. Exactly. And I can't say if every agent does it like that, because obviously I can't speak for any other agent, but I just, if I see comps that I am like, oh, wow. Or like, if it's something I was just saying, like, oh, I really wish that I could see X meets Y. And then someone sends me something and it's X meets Y. I'm like, first of all, were they listening to me? But second of all, like flag it, read it, read it as soon as I can, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I think comp titles can really set you, set you apart in a way that authors don't always realize mm-hmm. like how impactful those are. Right. Yeah. Perfect. Um, so next question, besides comps, really good comps, what gets your agent heart pounding? A good premise, good writing? Does it have to be both of those things or a combination of a bunch of things? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. With nonfiction, I would say a good premise and a good platform, but probably the platform's pretty, the platform's pretty heavily heart pounding, (laughs) heart inducing, I don't know, whatever. Um, In in nonfiction, yeah, I would say, I would say platform matters a a lot more, of course. Um, And we can kind of like hone in on what the, what the book idea is and kind of go from there. But with fiction, like you need the full package. You need an amazing premise. You need your writing to be outstanding. And I, ideally you would have other ideas that are in the same vein or like the same genre just because of the career author thing, you know? So like, if we're trying to break you out as like the next big rom-com writer, like, and you're like, well, I have one idea, but then other than that, I just want to write like thrillers. Then I'm like, okay, well, then let's focus on the thrillers, you know? So I think, I think that's sort of, sort of answered that question, sort of didn't, but um, yeah. And I think also um, just keeping in mind that with fiction, like your writing needs to be so, so good and so spot on for the genre that you're writing in. So, you know, if there's, like you just, you need to stand out so much and it's a really hard thing to do. Um, but yeah. And then otherwise, like just something for people to keep in mind, like, you know, something that I might think is like really a good premise and like really great writing someone else might not, you know? So it is such an incredibly subjective industry that I just like to remind people, like, don't, don't beat yourself up over one rejection. Like, you know, it's, it's going to happen. You're going to get a lot of rejections, but yeah, just keep that in mind too. (laughs) 
Yeah. Sorry, a, v- a very rambly answer to <laughs> what was a very simple question. <laughs> That's okay. Yes, a lot of rejections. And your first rejection, it's like a rite of passage. It's going to happen. And it's going to and you're going to survive it and you're it's going to survive okay. it exactly and you're going to learn <laughs> from it and it's not getting rejections isn't it's not a waste right because you're learning with every time that you get rejected you're still it's that much closer it's one step closer to what your goal is right exactly and every time you get like a request for materials or anything like that you're like okay i'm getting closer i'm getting yep. closer and you know i'll, I'll say also you might get an agent from one manuscript, but then not sell that manuscript. And it might be like three manuscripts later is the book that sells. So anything can happen. It's kind of the wild west in publishing and, you know, you've just got to roll with it. But I would say, yeah, just keep in mind that like rejections are not personal in terms of like they're not out to get you individually by their, I mean, agents, like we, we're not out to get you individually. Like we're not trying to tell you that your writing's bad or anything like that. A lot of the time, it's just not the right fit for what we're doing at that exact moment. And then someone else might be looking for exactly that in that moment. So, you know, again, super subjective and just don't try not to take any of the rejections too personally, because Mm -hmm that's a slippery slope to giving up on your dream of being a writer and don't, don't let that happen. Stick with it. (laughs) Exactly. All right. Uh, So the next question is, is it a red flag if an agent requests a paper copy for a partial, does this mean they are too outdated in today's publishing world where everything is online or could it just be preference and not a deterrent? So listen, everyone has different styles for how they like, read and evaluate manuscripts, and it might be easier for them to do it on paper than on a computer. Everyone's different. However, I personally would say it's a little bit of a red flag um, if you're being asked to print your manuscript and mail it to them, because you shouldn't be spending money up front like that, especially in a situation where it's not your agent, but also not there's there's pretty much not a scenario where you should be spending money like that. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're outdated and you don't want to assume that because, you know, they might have other reasons for requesting it in that form. But in my opinion, if they want a paper copy, you should be able to email it to them and they can print it. So I just want to flag that like if you're ever being asked to pay things up front, it's not it's not the norm in agenting. Generally agents get paid when you get paid. So just be extremely careful going forward in a situation like this. If you do, whoever, whoever sent this in, if you are going to do this, just be really careful and um, just be aware of that. And yeah, honestly, like it's possible. Maybe they are outdated and not keeping up with the way publishing works now. It's that's totally a possibility. I just don't want to assume that's the scenario because you don't know for sure what their reasons might be for asking for it in that form. But yeah, my advice is like just don't spend money on on something like that. Like save that money for later later on down the road. Throw it into your into your marketing budget or <laughs> you know yeah. pay for an ad on Instagram or something. You know you don't don't spend it on mail. So yeah, I would at the end of the day, it's trust your instincts. If your instincts are telling you that something's not right, 
don't do it. Yeah. Even the way that question was phrased, I was like, sounds like you don't want to send this person your manuscript in the mail and that's okay. Like trust your guts because yeah, your guts probably right. It's telling you no for a reason. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I would say just like you said, trust your gut. And if you don't want to send them a paper copy, that's fine. Don't do it. It's yeah. If they want it bad enough, they'll, they'll find another way. And then maybe that would change your, your thought process on, on where they are, where they're coming from. Totally. Yeah, totally. All right. Um, Next question is how should an author best communicate to an agent that their thriller or suspense has strong emotional or women's fiction-ish kind of theme? So like an emotional thriller as opposed to domestic suspense. Yeah. So I think a lot of authors try to get overly specific about how to classify their book in terms of genre. And sometimes it hurts more than it helps. So, you know, I've gotten queries before where the genre description is so long and it's a combination of so many genres that I honestly, I have no clue where it would fall, how I would position it to editors, how, like where, what bookshelf would it be on in a bookstore? Like I can't even tell. So just generally speaking, I encourage people to keep it simple, stick to existing genre classifications. And then if you really feel the need to add in a line, getting deeper into it, keep it brief, keep it to one additional genre. So like, I'm trying to think of an example, instead of like, this is a psychological thriller with women's fiction and emotional elements and a romantic subplot that readers will never see coming. Like, that's a lot. Like what genre is it? Is it a thriller? Is it women's fiction? Is it romance? Like, do, do you know what I mean? Like with it being like hard to decipher? Yeah, absolutely. Like that. I see yeah, a lot so of I'm that like, in query letters actually. <laughs> exactly. And so I'm like, okay, maybe you just listed as like either domestic suspense or psychological thriller, like what whatever it truly at its core is, just try to simplify it. It honestly is, it's much more helpful as an agent to have it simplified like that because mm-hmm. it helps me figure out how how do you see it? And then how can I position it when I pitch it? Because immediately when I'm reading like queries and everything, the first thing I'm doing is thinking of like, if I really like the work, I'm thinking like, what editor might like this? Oh, who would I maybe pitch to? What, What about this imprint? So that's how I can tell when I like really am in love with something is when I'm already like cultivating like a sub list and it's like, I've read 10 pages, like, you know what I mean? So um, yeah, I think just like, if you can simplify it, it makes it easier. And I think the more complicated that you get with your description, the more, the harder it is for me to understand how you see it as the author. Yeah. And then it's like, if, the, if I can't even figure out how the author sees it, how am I supposed to know how I see it? You know, mm-hmm. it's like, mm-hmm. it's an indicator from you. So figure out what you see and how, what you would classify it as, and then pitch it that way. Yeah. You know, less is more. Exactly. Totally. <laughs> Just like simple. simplify it, boil it down, boil it down. <laughs> awesome. All right. Um, in terms of cozy mysteries, what would I you consider? Yeah. <laughs> Just have to throw that out there. I love they're, they're so fun. What would you consider a mystery with lots of swearing and law for enforcement? So like what makes a book cozy as opposed to a different type of mystery? Yeah. So cozy mysteries are like extremely 
specific in their genre and it has like some super specific elements to it. So some examples of those are like any like deaths usually take place like off screen. Like, you know, there's not gory details or bloody murders. You're not describing anything gross, you know, like amateur sleuths are like a major component of cozy mysteries. Like it's like you sort of stumbled into solving the crime. Like you're often accused of being the murderer at some point. And that's why you got involved because you have to prove your innocence. It's usually like the start of a series. There are a lot of cute puns in the titles. I mean, those are like, I love any that have like a fun title. And then there are also really specific subgenres. So like a couple examples are like baking, um, like crafting, cooking, wine, like bookshop owners. Like, you know, there's there's a ton, a ton of different subgenres. And like, if it's a baking one, there's usually recipes in the back. So I love that stuff. Just <laughs> throw it, throwing it out there. Um, but yeah, it's like, a, it's like murder for people who don't want the gore, but they want the mystery and they still want to have fun reading it, but they don't want to be like overwhelmed with the detailed descriptions of death and bodies and you know anything that might be gross um or you know like over the top so to answer this specific question I would say if there is a lot of swearing and the law enforcement element is strong like let's say that like the main character is a detective that is to me sounds more like a police procedural than a cozy mystery so I would classify it as more of a police procedural than a cozy just because it doesn't sound like it has all of those other elements, but also again, like I've said before, like if I haven't read it, I can't tell you for sure, but yeah, I would just say kind of give that some thought. Does the swearing part kind of make or break the cozy aspect? Not necessarily. I mean, it, it a little bit depends like who your audience is. So I think if you're writing like a cozy mystery and you have like a younger audience in mind, swearing's not such a big deal. But if you're writing a cozy mystery and your ideal audience is like 65 plus, like probably you don't want as much swearing. Like maybe you could put a little in if you wanted, but I would say if that's your ideal audience, probably don't include swearing. Um, Or like if you're going to like very minimal, but you know, I would say if you're, if you're writing something with a younger audience in mind, um, generally speaking, swearing is okay, but also everyone's different. And mm-hmm. I feel like any book that has swearing in it, you see at least one review that's like, ah, yeah, much <laughs> swearing in here. It's disgusting. <laughs> and I'm like, well, <laughs> like, you can't it's please everybody. Life. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, I, I've been trying not to swear this whole podcast. I honestly don't know if I have, but I've been, that's the oh main God. thought the whole time. I'm like, swear, go right ahead. Awesome. <laughs> uh, okay. When querying, can you comp your novel to a book of poetry that's thematically connected to your book story? I see where you're coming from with this question. And honestly, I know a lot of agents have mixed feelings about this. So I just want to preface this whole thing by saying this is just for me personally. Like this is my personal preference. I think it's better to use comps that are in the same category or a similar category as your work. 
like we talked about before, it helps me position your book in my mind. It makes it super clear what I'm getting into before I even start. There's a risk with comping to poetry when you're not writing poetry in that, let's say an agent is like going through queries and they're like in the zone. They might see your comp title. And if you have like two poetry comp titles, but your book's a novel, they might be like, oh, it's poetry. Like, you know what I mean? Like they, they might not catch it right away. And then like, boom, you've lost them. So it's also hard to translate like the success of a poetry book versus a novel because it's like the metrics are different. So again, I can't speak for everyone. And I, even if I could, I would not attempt to, um, but I think it's better if you stick to comps and you're in your genre or a similar genre to yours. And just to be completely honest, like if you're finding like a comp in a poetry book, there's bound to be a novel that you could comp to, you know, it's, there's, there's definitely something that you could comp to in a similar, if it's not your exact genre in a similar genre to yours. And I think that's just helpful for, for agents, or at least, at least for me. Yeah, I agree. Like, I know some people feel differently and like, I've heard other people say the exact opposite, like at conferences or on other podcasts or whatever, but I'm like, for me personally, I'm like, stick to similar genres because it just, it helps me. It it also just helps me know like, okay, this is like, this is what this book is. Like, you know, especially if you don't write the genre in your query letter, then as I'm reading your query, I'm like, oh, it's a love story. Cause like, that's so cute. And then I'm like, wait a second there, everyone gets murdered. It's a (laughs) horror. Like, you know what I mean? And so I think it's like comping to something in your category. It just sets you up nicely for me to be able to know like what, what I'm getting into, what am I in for? Like clue me in, give me a little hint in there. Yeah. And I mean, just picture your book in a bookstore. Are you going to see it sitting next to a poetry book or are you going to see it sitting next to something in, in your genre or similar? Exactly. Exactly. Yes. You get it. You get it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Querying is tough. It can bring you down after a lot of hard soul exposing work. So, so true. Where those rejections come in, right? Yeah. When should you throw in the towel and move on to the next project if nothing is happening with the current one? Well, I'm glad that that question didn't stop with when should you throw in the towel? Because I would be like, oh, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, so first just want to say querying is extremely tough and can be really soul crushing. Like publishing is a bit of a brutal industry because it is like so creative in so many ways, but ultimately when you boil it down, it's a business. So don't beat yourself up. Like we've said before, it's subjective and a pass from one person doesn't mean that everyone's going to hate it or it's never going to sell. It's just not right for that one person. So just another reminder of that. But yeah, as far as like moving on to the next project, it could be a, a really wide range of different reasons for that. So just to throw a couple out there, it could be that you're feeling discouraged or you've lost your passion for that project and you just want to try something new. It could be that, you know, you've submitted really widely and you haven't gotten any traction or you feel like you're not getting even close. Um, It could be that you realize your project isn't right for the current climate. So, you know, let's say you wrote it like a couple of years ago and it seemed like, oh, it could sell, it could sell. And then now, 
it's like the themes you've included are not something that you would even want published now, you know? Um, it could be that you have a new idea that you're really passionate about. It could be that you want to try out a new genre. It could, you could live, it could be a million different reasons. So, um, I just try to tell people like, sometimes you just need to put something on hold and try something new. And it doesn't mean that the thing that you put on hold is never going to happen. It just means that like, it might not happen right now. (laughs) So, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it can be really discouraging and soul crushing. And I get that, but if you're not getting traction and you're just feeling like beaten down, try writing something totally different or like a, a new project, even if it's in the same like category or the same genre, like just give yourself the freedom to like try something new and see if it sparks anything. And then sometimes even after you've tried something new, you'll go back to that first one and be like, whoa, I have some major things I want to make on this. Yeah. Sometimes you just, you just need to step away from something for a little while and then, and then it becomes so much better. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I think sometimes some distance from, you know, if it's your first one or even your second one, I've got two, they're done. I'm, you know, I, I know that I need to do some work with them and they're there. They're not in the trash. Yeah. <laughs> They're in a drawer. Don't trash anything. <laughs> no, no, never. And you know, there's, I have another author friend who just released her debut and she has her, I think, I don't know, two, three, maybe even four books that she wrote before. And they're, you know, she kept them. They're there. And guess what? Now they're getting published. So you just never exactly. know. You learn with every book that you write and you can take that knowledge and apply it to those books. So Absolutely. Just because it's not happening right now doesn't mean like doesn't mean it's never going to happen, just like you said. Totally. Yeah. And I know I I think I I think I mentioned this earlier, but who who knows? Um, but yeah, like if you get an agent from one manuscript, it doesn't mean that that's going to be your first sale. Right. You know, maybe that one, the timing's not right, or like something happens, or you know, whatever. But yeah, maybe it's like three books down the line that they're like, this is the one. Like, you know, yeah. but I think. I think it's just good to keep in mind that like, if you're struggling with it and you're like feeling discouraged, try something different, try something new. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, even too, sometimes I'll be editing a book and I just need to like step away for like a weekend or like sometimes even like, just, I don't know, like three, four days and just be like, let me not think about it. Like, mm-hmm. let me let me take a breather. And then when I come back, I'm like, oh my gosh, I know exactly what was bothering me, you know? And then I can come back with a fresh mind and like dive right in and know exactly what it is and mark up the manuscript according to that. And yeah, so I think, I think it's just like everyone's brain needs a break sometimes. And if you're doing the exact same thing constantly all the time, like you're not giving yourself room to breathe and really reflect on big picture. Like you know, you're seeing, you're seeing the trees, but you're not seeing the forest. So I think, yeah, step away sometimes and give yourself a break and a breather and you'll be surprised what you come back with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Our last question is, (laughs) (laughs) um, what defines a contemporary romance as a rom-com versus just a regular romance? Does the distinction matter in a query letter? I'm going to, I'm going to guess yes. Yeah, the distinction definitely matters. Um, But similarly to the cozy mystery question that we um, just talked about, 
like romance has a really specific like formula, format, tropes. And the same is true of rom-coms, though I feel, in my opinion, there's a little more flexibility there. Whereas romance, it's a little more of a formula that like you you want to stick to it because that's what readers are expecting, especially like a lot of romance readers are like voracious readers. And I mean, I'm shocked by how many books people can read a year. I'm like, what? How though? <laughs> so I will say, it's important that you as the author know which category your book falls into and that you pitch it that way because there are some agents who like, they only do rom-coms. There are some agents who only do romance and there are some agents of course who do both, but you wanna make sure that you're pitching the right crowd. You know, if you're, if you're pitching a romance to someone who only does rom-coms, it's a wasted submission, you know? You've wasted your time and like, over, you know, you're going to get a rejection from it. So, you know, why would you do that? That being said, there are some tropes that like overlap, of course, but there are also some major differences, like even like the pacing of things. And when the, I'll call them steamy scenes, when the steamy scenes take place, or even just like, how often are the steamy scenes and like how steamy are the steamy scenes? That might be a good indicator for you as to like what genre your work falls into. And like, you know, also look at the humor, like rom-com, think about the comedy, like, you know, give, give yourself the space to think about those things. And like, you know, if you, if you're finding your book is like really funny, but it's got all like closed door steamy scenes then it's probably a rom-com but if you're like my book's not really like humorous it's following more of like the classic romance structure it's extremely open door steamy scenes then like I would venture to say that's probably more in the romance camp so yeah I think just really think about those kind of things and um pitch it as what it is. It's like, before you send out a query, you want to make sure that you feel confident in what your book is and that you are pitching it correctly. Because again, if you pitch it as one thing and then we're read it, like agents are reading it. Sometimes agents are like, wait, they said this was like a rom-com. It's like pretty serious. Like there's not really any like comedy. This just feels like a really like sweet romance or, you know, whatever it may be. So yeah, I would just say like, get, give some thought to like the different elements and the different tropes and the pacing and yeah, sort of like the, the formula of, of each thing, you know? Yeah. And, and I think this also comes back to comps too. It's, you know, go look at your comps and look to see what categories they're in. Exactly. Because that's going to give you a good indication. And especially if you've chosen the right comps, right? Yeah. If you've chosen your comps well, then yeah, look at the metadata, see like what they're plugged in as. Are they like marketed as, as romance? Give that some thought. Are they marketed as rom-coms? Give that some thought. Even just looking at the covers sometimes can give you a little bit of an indication of like how far into each genre you might be. And like, there's like a middle ground as well, where it's like, okay, if you, if you're finding you're in that middle ground, it's a little trickier, but you know, it's like, look at what your comps are. Imagine your book on shelves. What would it be next to? That's probably going to be a pretty big indicator for you as to what category you fall into. And then just make sure that you feel really confident in that when you send it out, you know? Yeah. 
And if you don't, get some fresh eyes before you send your queries out, right? Exactly. I mean, you should already have, like, you should already be getting fresh eyes on your query letter before you send it out. But just point out to those people, like, especially if they've read your, if they've read your full manuscript, like, just be like, do you think this is the right, uh, what do you think of these comps? Like, uh, do you think this is the right way to pitch this genre? Like, you know, and just they say, because especially if they're also working on something in the same genre, they're going to have some insight into that. Yep, absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this. This is this has been a pleasure. It's it's yeah. really I think it's amazing to get this insight, right? Because everybody is everyone in the writing community, they need to hear stuff like this from industry professionals and I think that's going to help them with their writing journeys for sure. Definitely. And thank you so much for, you know, in inviting me to come join you today. I mean, I love doing things like this. And I think it's, it's so important because our industry is like kind of a mystery to a lot of people. Yeah. So trying to make it as accessible and like get information out there to as many people as possible is, is so important. So, you know, I love what you're doing with the podcast and um, yeah, I, th- I think it's great. So I'm, I'm just really happy that I was able to join you today. Thank you for that. <laughs> I feel like I talked, I talked your listeners ears off, but <laughs> I think they're going to love it. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> so that's it for today's episode. Thank you again for sending in all those fabulous questions. And thank you so much again to Claire for taking the time out of her schedule to answer these questions for everyone. If this is something you enjoy or you want to hear something different from agents or other industry professionals, let me know. Reach out on Twitter at underscore badass writers or Instagram at badass writers underscore podcast. You can also reach me by my contact page on my website at www.kathleenfox.com. I will put my contact information as well as Claire's in the show notes, so be sure to check that out as well. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you learned something. I hope this helps you on your querying and publishing journey. And as always, keep being badass.